Hey, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, guys and dolls, it's great to have you on with me tonight on a Thursday in September. Feels like it's in the middle of July, though. Man, I'm glad that uh, my Thursday workout is at 8.30 in the morning because if it started when the workout ended, it's... Like 95 plus the humidity, it's sucked today. I'm I'm ready for crisp cool. Okay, just paid the price. Now it's ready. We're ready for fall. But anyway, this is what September is. It's up. It's down. You get a little bit of that in early uh, October as well. But anywho, we've got a good one tonight, and the air conditioner is pumping, and it has been pumping for the last hour. So it's just starting to get cool because we have high ceilings in here. Uh, not as high as it used to be, because we had them drop the ceiling, put a cork ceiling, a drop ceiling in probably around 2016, around you know, around the time that we were here for about a year. And thank God we did that because it was about three feet taller, and we had two ceiling fans. But it was impossible to keep this play, place cool. It was bad. So that uh, that really that did a lot for the sound in here, and it also did a lot for keeping this place nice and and uh, temperature regulated throughout all the seasons. But enough of that useless information, unless you're going to a, quite frankly, bar trivia night sometime. We have Jay Dyer coming on the show tonight, and we're going to be talking about the satanic panic. I want to talk about it because, you know, I think that there's a lot to be compared to today where we have gone beyond satanic panic and suspicion of us being on some kind of a slippery slope into hell on earth and we've kind of gone from satanic panic to a satanic embrace of course the media is still teaching it the, uh, is still treating it the same way oh nothing to see here stop being such a uh, a prude and oh my gosh these people again you know whatever anyway well you know that we're going to be talking about that with jay because i like going into origin stories for you know cultural subversion topics like this when did it all start obviously it was dubbed the satanic panic in the 1980s but um you know how far back were the wheels put into motion who were the players in the game things like that and we'll go to all different uh, interesting interesting areas of conversation i'm sure including in the second half when we say goodbye to jay and we wrap up the show together when i read through your super chats field some comments and questions which if you have any questions for jay while we are on air i will make sure i'm looking at all of the super chats the rumble rants i'll be looking at the gold pills and i'll be looking at the uh quite frankly superchat.com to see if there's any any good stuff in there that i can work into the show so feel free if not afterwards we're going to be taking calls and reading super chats and getting your your thoughts on the record along with any personal remembrances or satanic panic stories that you have i've got a thread over here that i thought was really really interesting and now you can say we can ask the question okay well then this is the bigger question tonight how much was hysteria how much was undue panic and paranoia and how much was warranted because there i mean was it an overcorrection to to uh make it hard for children to be able to locate dungeons and dragons games 
and uh, and and forbid in many places the purchasing of role-playing games like how much of it how much was overcorrection so I, uh, you know, in, in the middle of any kind of moment of hysteria, you're going to have things that really need to be examined, and then you're going to have things that are just o- overcorrections, things that when you go above and beyond what is actually necessary, then you you start you start making your entire your entire movement or your all your concerns seem unfounded psychobabble, and your opponents, whether they know that the, why they're against you or not. Or if they are actually stumping for some kind of a satanic force uh, and they want to play devil's advocate, uh, they, they will expose you a lot easier. So I want to talk about that stuff. What do you remember about the satanic panic? Because I've got a great thread here that might jog some memories from you. But if you already have some bubbling, write them down and call in because we'll be having... I'll, I'll set up a special line just for that. I'll call it satanic panic line. All right. Well, it's 7 o'clock. Let's get on with the show, shall we? Yes. All right. First one up is... Oh, wait. Let me just thank BlueMonsterPrep.com. Go check out BlueMonsterPrep.com or else you'll end up like Mitch McConnell. You don't want that. Nope. And that's the whole plug tonight. Not only Blue Monster Prep, because that's where you get all your physical insurance needs in your house. The water, filtration, the food, communication, power, power generation and power just storage. First aid, things for your pets, anything. But we have other great friends on the affiliates page. Really, I, I, I mentioned him last night. Go and check out, quite frankly, .gold. It's a great place to get all your gold and your silver there with... Uh, Tony Arterburn, Wise Wolf. They set up, quite frankly, not gold for us. And if you are into things like they even started stocking goldbacks because of the shows that we were doing here. And now even those are available for you. That's it. So go and check it all out. Here we go. Speaking of Mitch McConnell, imagine this. Imagine this. He wants to let everybody know he's fielding, uh, uh, I guess, questions from the press over here. And far too many people, too, asked him about what the hell's been going on with him neurologically. Why is he freezing up? Are you okay? What are the doctors saying? And here is what he had to, uh, here's what he had to say to everybody in the audience. You didn't tell us what it might have been. Do you know what it is? Now, the, uh, the, the guy, I don't know who, who the first guy was, but he says, you, you're not... Nobody's told us what it could have been. Do you know what it was? What happened? He just kind of smiled and looked over to his right now where somebody else is going to ask him about it so he can't get away from it that easy. You've had all these evaluations. What have doctors said is the precise medical reason for those two freeze-ups? What was the precise medical reasons for those two freeze-ups? And watch where this goes. What Dr. Monahan's report addressed was concerns people might have that some things that happened to me did happen, but they didn't. And there's really, I have nothing to add to that. I think you pretty well covered the subject. Uh, okay, let's go again, and I'm just going to read the subtitles. Here's what he said. Uh, hold on a second. What Dr. Uh, Monahan's report addressed is the concern that people might have seen some things that happened to me 
did happen. They didn't. That's it. What you saw happen to him, he literally said what you saw happen to him twice now in a very, very public way did not happen. These are not the droids you are looking for. <laughs> that's, that's what he did. You know, that's, that's it. So, um, wow, this Muppet is spent. And Kentucky, you know, listen, I, I know that we all, we, we have our suspicions about how bad and how rigged voting is all over the place. All over the place, especially since, uh, especially since the 17th Amendment was uh, instituted. And we're talking about senators and state legislatures not being a part of that process anymore. And they, it just leads it up to general elections and all that. I understand that even in the reddest of states, they could, you could rig it for anybody, including for stooges like this, who ha- have all the trappings of a conservative but man come on you can put anybody in there he claims he's going to stay for the the last four years of his term he claims that he's going to eke it out can you imagine what he's going to be like in four years from now i guess we'll find out anyway here's a little bit more i was going to talk a little bit more about the tucker carlson uh obama sex expose but maybe i'll save some of those thoughts for tomorrow it's going to be a friday afternoon show instead of a friday night show so i i I think we'll have a little fun and crack some jokes and do we'll do the mount airy lodge follow-up because my cousin sherry stayed there a few years ago and she actually wrote a blog post about it i have to read to you um so that'll be fun but in the meantime I saw the uh, the Danny Masterson sentencing, rape sentencing. I think multiple rape convictions. He's got 30 years. This is the guy from that 70s show. But Leah Ramini rips criminal Scientology in aftermath of Danny Masterson prison sentencing because he's, he's a Scientologist, I believe, and she's been speaking out against that. I would love to do a Scientology dig one day. We've done it in many types of ways, but never like full on, like soup to nuts. Already engaged in a lawsuit of her own against Scientology, Leah Ramini lambasted the church today following the sentencing of prominent Scientologist Danny Masterson to 30 years in prison on rape convictions, calling the uh, David Mis- uh, Miscavige-led organization, oh, I didn't, Miscavige, Led organization, a multi-billion dollar criminal organization with tax-exempt status. The former King of Queens star and ex-Scientologist took to social media to center on the church's alleged cover-up of Masterson's crimes and others. Was he performing this on other church members? These rapes? For over two decades, Danny Masterson avoided accountability for his crimes, Ramini tweeted Thursday. While Danny was the was only uh, the only one sentenced, his conviction and sentence are indictments against Scientology, its operatives, and its criminal leader, David Miscavige. Ramini, who has battled with the Church of Scientology for years, was in packed launch Los Angeles courtroom today as Masterson received his sentence. At one point, at the as the court was taking a short break before sentencing Ramini and a publicist for the defense got into a brief exchange at the back of the courtroom. Ramini exclaimed, you got the wrong girl. You got the wrong one girl. And as Ramini walked by, the publicist replied, don't talk to me. The Masterson sentencing came a week after Ramini filed an amended complaint in her harassment suit against the church, Miscavige and others, citing years of attacks, the multi, uh, multi-claim multi filing 
alleged that Scientology harassed and defamed her. It seeks unspecified damages. The Church of Scientology did not respond to Deadline's request for a comment about Ramini's tweet. We will update this post if we received a response. So, um, yeah, she said, here's part of her statement. Sitting in a court today with the women who survived Danny Masterson's predation was a surreal experience over the past seven decades. Former Scientologists have sadly become used to Scientology using its financial resources, religious protection, and relationships to snatch justice away from them. For over two decades, Danny Masterson avoided accountability for his crimes. While Danny was the only one sentenced, his conviction and sentence are indictments against Scientology, its operatives, and the criminal leader, David Miscavige. So they said that uh, Scientology managed to cover up Danny's crimes with the help of its intelligence agency, the Office of Special Affairs. Top church officials like Kristen Catano, Peterson, and Julian Swartz, its network of media-hungry, unethical uh, attorneys, private investigators, agents, and civilian Scientologists who engage in a conspiracy to cover up crimes of sexual violence. So I guess it doesn't matter whether or not it's uh, violence against other members, current or former, or just anybody else in normal life. Um, it's obviously a, obviously a very powerful lobbying organization. Crazy story there. Crazy. Uh, you know what? Let me make a, uh, a quick note, if you just give me a second. Yeah, Scientology. Scientology. There you go. All right, listen to this. Amateur makes gold find of the century in Norway. This is from France24.com. A Norwegian out walking on doctor's advice unearthed rare 6th century gold jewelry using a newly bought metal detector. A discovery archaeologist said on Thursday was Norway's gold find of the century. I want to just remind you, it is only 2023. At first, I thought it was chocolate coins or Captain Sabretooth coins, said 51-year-old Erland Bohr, referring to a fictional Norwegian pirate. It was totally unreal. The cache comprised nine Norwegian gold medallions and gold pearls that once formed an opulent necklace, as well as three gold rings. Archaeologists say the find is unique because the design on the medallions, a type of horse from Norse mythology, uh, Bohr, who dreamt of becoming an archaeologist as a child, made the discovery on a farmer's land, uh-oh, near Stavanger, Stavanger in August after he bought a metal detector on his doctor's recommendations to get more exercise. He had been out searching and was about to head home for the day when the, the device suddenly began beeping. He called the archaeologist... And the jewels, they uh, weigh a little bit more than 10, 100 grams and were discovered to date around 500 A.D. Wow. Now, as far, what about the farmer? Given the location of the discovery and what we know from other similar finds, this is probably a matter of either hidden valuables or an offering to the gods during dramatic times, Professor Haken Rierson said. In line with Norwegian law, both Bohr and the landowner will receive a reward, although the sum has not been determined. Oh, okay, you know what? I, I, listen, if you're the landowner and somebody, I wonder why he's on there. Maybe they knew each other. So yeah, go ahead. You can take a walk and use your, your, your Geiger counter out there. Um, but that's pretty cool. 
Somebody finds some treasure. Hey, that, that's 100% profit. You didn't put any time into that. That's pretty good. I wonder how much it was. Eh, things we won't know. The things that we'll never find out. Okay. Um, what else did I have over here? I had one other thing. One other little thing. But we'll save that for tomorrow, too. Trauma is trendy. Study finds. Therapist says that Gen Z embraces sharing their pain on TikTok. Don't we know it? An expert in treating stress and emotional damage says that sharing trauma with the entire world has become trendy on social media, mainly because Gen Z is the first generation not to feel ashamed of it. I don't think that this is a... I don't think that this is a reflection of some sort of a superpower that Generation Z has where they are not ashamed of sharing their emotions. Uh, people have been able to share their thoughts, their feelings, to emote in therapeutic ways, in far more constructive ways uh, all, throughout all human history. It's not about Gen Z being some kind of an outlier where suddenly they're not ashamed of talking about how hard life is. It's not, is it, the question is, is this constructive? Is this constructive to, to, to put this, whatever your emotional distress, to turn it into a social media attention game is not going to cure the stress because it only feeds that, that whole dopamine addiction of likes and shares and people's opinions. You're not going to get all, you're not always going to get support on the way back. It's just about healthy communication. And is shouting all of your personal details into the digital void the best way of expressing yourself and trying to find your way through a problem at the moment? The answer is resoundingly no. Now, somebody will say, no, this is what we have available to us. No, you also had, I mean, I mean, we've always had families. You have to come from somewhere. So what's going on at home? What's going on with your friends? I mean, we're, I just think that there are so many other ways to get to the bottom of something and to work through something than to uh, turn whatever you think is on the other side of that computer or that phone into your therapist because you don't know who you're confessing what to. Meg Schnetzer, the trauma-trained somatic practitioner, works with people every day to help them overcome their past experiences. She says that we have seen an uptick on social media of people talking about their own past trauma, and it's now a trend among young adults. The 32-year-old notes that it's common to see people opening up about their traumas on platforms like TikTok and owning their trauma responses. She adds trauma responses are often personality traits, which can include things like being a perfectionist or being anxious as a result of earlier experiences. So again, you're wearing your little ticks and your little things and habits on your sleeve. It becomes your, this is who I am now. And I know it's very hard to change after a certain time, but again, again, there's nothing wrong with this kind of a thing and self-evaluating, but I just don't. Do you, do you think that this is the best place for it? I share myself personally on here. I get, I, I have, I have no problem with, uh, with being a little vulnerable on this show because I think it, it inspires some really good talk radio. But there's plenty I don't tell you. There's plenty I don't tell you about my personal life. Uh, and, um, and I don't know. 
I think um, I think it's pretty exploitative, and 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 self exploitative, in that respect too. All right. Well, anyway, on the other end is Jay Dyer and a great show. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to set the table for him right on the other side of this intro. One ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Seven seventeen. So here's what I want to do. I want to read this article. I want to read this article that I found. I said, oh, I'm sending this to Jay right now. I sent it to him yesterday. I said, I'm going to be opening up with this, and then we're going to be talking about it. Well, I just did it. Just like a conversation started. You'll see why. Here it is, ladies and gents. The headline from BBC, Scientists Grow Whole Model of a human embryo without sperm or egg. You heard me correctly. They grow an entire model of human embryo without sperm or egg. Scientists have grown an entity. That's what they call, that's what got me. I said this to Jay, I said, an entity they've grown. An entity that closely resembles an early human embryo without using sperm, egg, or a womb. What do they use, Play-Doh? The Weizmann Institute team says that the embryo model made using stem cells looks like a textbook example of a real 14-day-old embryo. It even released hormones that turned a pregnancy test positive in the lab. The ambition for embryo models is to prove it probably uh, tested positive for COVID, too. Uh, The ambition for embryo models is to provide an ethical way of understanding the earliest moments of our lives. The first week after a sperm fertilizes an egg is a period of dramatic change from a collection of indistinct cells to something that eventually becomes recognizable on a baby scan. This crucial time is a major source of miscarriage and birth defects, but poorly understood. It's a black box, and that's not a cliche. Our knowledge is very limited, Professor Jacob Hanna from the Weizmann Institute of Science tells me. So, they call it starting material. The embryo research is legally, ethically, and technically fraught 
but there is now a rapidly developing field mimicking natural embryo development. And now they will say, of course, that this is about understanding the process of development a little bit more to be able to uh, to, to get past one quandary or another about our g- genetic makeup or this and that. And uh, it's always something very you know educational, something that is going to shed some light on a corner that has been dark up until this point. But how how much more how much more trickery can there be? Do you really think? Do you really think that these experiments are all going to be for the betterment of the of the human race when all of these same universities, these institutes and the people, the gigantic WEF style companies and conglomerates that fund them are only ever talking about how to re-engineer mankind? How to do that? How to uh, remake it in a different image other than the one that we have come to know and experience over here. It keep go- it keeps going for a little bit. Let's just, uh, in the meantime, hold on a second. Boom. This research published in the journal Nature is described by the Israeli team as the first complete embryo model for mimicking all the key structures that emerge in early embryo. This is really a textbook image of the human day 14 embryo, Professor Hannah says, which hasn't been done before. Instead of a sperm in the egg, the starting material was naive uh, stem cells, which were reprogrammed to gain the potential to become any type of tissue in the body. Chemicals were then used to coax these stem cells into becoming four types of cell found in the earliest stages of the human embryo. A total of 120 of these cells were mixed in precise ratio, and then the scientists step back and they watch. And they got what they wanted. About 1% of the mixture began the journey of spontaneously assembling themselves into a structure that resembles, but is not identical to, a human embryo. Just was missing a little something. I give great credit to the cells. You have to bring the right mix to have the right environment, and it just takes off, Professor Hannah says. That's an amazing phenomenon. The embryo models were allowed to grow and develop until they were comparable to an embryo 14 days after fertilization. In many countries, this is legal cutoff for normal embryo research. Despite the late night, and that's what we're talking about, ethics here and everything else. Despite the late night video call, I can hear the passion as Professor Hannah gives me a 3D tour of the exquisitely fine architecture of the embryo model. I know. Must be very, very proud of themselves. The hope is embryo models can help scientists explain how different types of cells emerge, witness the earliest steps in building of the body's organs, or understand the inherent or genetic diseases. Already, the study shows how other parts of the embryo will not form unless the early placenta cells can surround it. There is an even talk about improving in vitro fertilization success rates by helping to understand why some embryos fail or using the models to test whether medicines are safe during pregnancy. Professor Robin Lovell Badge, who researches embryo development at the Francis Crick Institute, tells me these embryo models do look pretty good and do look pretty normal. Now, legally distinct. The work also raises the question of whether embryo development could be mimicked past the 14-day stage. This is where it always comes down to. You know, we have some really amazing things going on right now, but we're just so limited in what we can do because of all these ethical constraints. We, we promise you uh, the only outcomes of these, these procedures and these experiments will be ethical 
and very humane for the people it could help in the future. Of course, who knows what they're actually building, what hybrids are are being you know developed in some tank underground or whatever the hell else. But um, it's just it's just one of those things that comes that comes to mind for me when we talk about things like the satanic panic tonight because this is very humanist it's very in that in that respect it wasn't always i know that right now science and religious faith or any kind of um any kind of consideration of the spirit world and and our life beyond this physical life is has become very adversarial it didn't have to, it didn't used to be like that religious faith and those types of spiritual ethics and things like that have been um, for, uh, up until the last century or so not mutually exclusive. They actually went hand in hand. It was a good guiding force. And through that, the West was, was, was born, was developed. We have everything we have today. It's really something else. But, you know, I think about this. I think about this and then I think about where we were however many years ago where all of the sirens started going off. Now, this right here is an example of what some would say maybe a reckless pursuit of genetic power, mechanized procreation, reproduction. Talked about that with Jay uh, many times on the show and other guests, too. You know, what is the actual, what are we talking about when there is a child or a baby lamb or something else that is being grown outside of a womb in a sack in a laboratory being nurtured through very, very critical developmental stages by machines and by cocktails of chemicals and stem cells that are being injected and nursed through. I mean, whatever we have been given a glimpse into, obviously, is being done to far, far more advanced degrees elsewhere. So this is one example of that. This is how science has kind of pushed the boundaries of ethics and all that stuff in, in, uh, in bigger and bigger ways in a more public way. And that is just a thumbnail sketch of what's going on. Now, story, stories like that, stories like that would be unthinkable a couple of generations ago. But the Overton window on ethics has moved so dramatically. And, you know, there was a time where fear of a future where science would endeavor to cre- recreate mankind would devalue life of the unborn, would confuse the children that have already been born into transhuman worldviews, digital currencies, vaccine passports, feds implanted in churches to spy on parishioners. Uh, Oh, who can forget after-school Satan clubs? I mean, we can can keep going for hours. There was a time when fear alone that we may be on a slippery slope toward that endgame was enough to trigger hysterics. And the satanic panic of the 1980s is a big, big example of that. And we'll be examining that tonight with Jay Dyer. Because the given, um, given the fact that the future that many feared may be coming has manifested before our very eyes must mean that all that hysteria wasn't totally unwarranted. So we welcome back our good buddy, author, talk show host, comedian, consummate researcher, Jay Dyer, jaysanalysis.com. What is going on, Jay? What's up, Frank? Glad to be back with you. Oh, so happy to have you back. Um, First of all, everybody's really excited about The Godfather in October. I hope you are as well. I am, absolutely. You've been doing so much work with, uh, I mean, I know that that, uh, organized crime has always been a very big thing, but now you are like, 
you're buddies with uh, Sammy the Bull over here. This is amazing. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm initiated. I'm a member of the organized crime family now. <laughs> That's it. There's no going back. I'm a, I'm a capita tutti. I'm just joking. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I don't, he, I guess he saw me doing uh, podcasts with uh, Sean Atwood, um, who also, you know, has a background in, in crime and true crime and all of that. And, uh, you know, they had done podcasts. And so we've been, we, I, we've done seven or eight episodes. Now uh, we did a big interview with, uh, with Alex that will air in the near future. So yeah, it's been wild doing those. Um, this, this last uh, clip we did has had, had almost a million views on it. So it's getting a lot of traction. I think people seem to really like those. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. Interviews you... that we do with him. And, and he knows a lot about how, you know, the system works from the inside the legal system and you know organized crime so it's always a fascinating enlightening conversation with him i i usually uh, eat up every interview that's out there especially especially the first one first real in-depth one i saw with him was uh with patrick bet david but you've been doing it so it's been great to see what you guys are doing too and i can't wait to see what comes and you know speaking of true crime that is an aspect of the satanic panic because there's a lot of investigations into you know satanic ritual abuse and how far out that goes how extensive it is um but mm. it may be a pop culture phenomenon but this is what i want you to start with for us um in the 1980s that that pop culture phenomenon of the satanic panic but it had to have started earlier where would you start telling us the story of the satanic panic of the 1980s yeah i think you're right that there were predecessors to the pop culture imagery that utilized Satanism and the satanic. I mean, you could go all the way back to the first uses of that in German expressionism with Metropolis, but um, maybe more so the 60s counterculture when we look at things like Kenneth Anger's films, his experimental art films like Lucifer Rising that you know, feature Mick Jagger and other people kind of popping up, making cam cameos. I think isn't Bobby Beausoleil in uh, one of these anger films? And there's several of them. There's other ones that are dedicated to Crowleyanism. So certainly, some of the people in the counterculture, even in the '60s, were already devotees of forms of Satanism, particularly the Crowleyan manifestations of it. Timothy Leary famously was a pretty serious devotee of Crowley. He says this himself. He's even appears under a giant Crowleyan um, image of Christ that has 666 on Christ's forehead. And he says he is the new Crowley. So I think Leary definitely had a serious satanic component to his philosophy as well. So that was kind of in the background of the, of the counterculture. I think in the seventies, we saw with the creation of, after the creation of the church of Satan with LeVay, this got more popular. And so post LeVay, post Anger, um, post Tim Leary, a lot of horror movies in the 1970s start to become more explicitly satanic. That becomes a trend post uh, Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. uh, after Manson, people get really scared about satanic panic post Manson because of, uh, is it Krenwinkel? I forget which, which of the Manson girls. One of them is was a witch, a satanic witch, and she had associations with uh, LeVay and company. So I think all of that ties together into kind of already kind of creating a, a pop culture stew from which the 80s satanic panic could emerge, yet also bands like, you know, Black Sabbath kind of popularizing the, the rise of metal and 
the associations of heavy metal with the satanic. And a lot of that was just pop culture symbolism and imagery and theatrics. But some people took it seriously. And I think that what happens in the, the panic is that certain sensationalist journalists picked up on this famously uh, Geraldo, right? Mm-hmm. Geraldo does this series. I watched the whole series on the satanic panic. And Geraldo's series is, I think, a couple years after the publication of the book, Michelle Remembers, which also helped kicked off the satanic panic, which I read the book. And what's interesting about Michelle Remembers is that it seems to be kind of a, a very suspect, fraudulent book because you're reading this book and it kind of sounds plausible until the end when you get to this chapter where she starts making all these outlandish claims that are clearly kind of made up. And then she didn't help herself when she ran away with her therapist. She left her husband and (laughs) ran off with the therapist. So I think a lot of that undercut the legitimacy of that testimony. Um, There's also the story of... uh, uh, who's the other famous woman that claimed to have satanic ritual abuse? Uh, Sybil. The Sybil story uh, con- uh, contributes to the satanic panic as well. And then other journalists that were interested in the sensationalism jumped on it. So you get this trumped up Geraldo level, you know, evangelical level fear. And a lot of it's based on ridiculous stories that are not true. However, at the same time, the CIA sets up the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, which is intended on debunking uh, under Martin Orne and other criminals, people that were later convicted of, of, of various crimes that are pretty heinous, um, including things related to kids, right? The False Memory Syndrome Foundation is erected to debunk these claims at the same time as the satanic panic is highlighting and focusing on sensationalistic and ridiculous things at the same time as some of these things are actually real. So in my view, if you look at the McMartin situation, I think oh, there's yeah. some truth to that. If you look at uh, the Franklin cover-up, there's uh, satanic elements to that. If you read um, Lucifer's Lodge by William Henry, there's a lot of uh, stories that relate to satanic ritual abuse in the Roman Catholic Church that was going on at that time as well in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So those are like the real legitimate cases the media focuses on these absurd cases i think on purpose like michelle remembers because not only is it sensationalist it also because it's goofy ends up easily being debunked and then people think oh well it's all fake but even some of the things that uh geraldo highlighted like serial killer uh, bobby Burdella, one of the satanic panic episodes of geraldo is based on that guy and when you look into Bobby Burdella, it's actually worse than what Geraldo presented. He was actually running his own little satanic cult uh, and was in- engaged in the local BDSM subculture um, and actually was into, like, real Satanism. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've seen that episode. It's worth watching because Geraldo implies that Bobby Burdella is into Satanism, but he doesn't actually focus on, like, good things he, he picks up ridiculous things like oh you have a skull in your store 
uh, are you a Satanist? It's like, you know, that's the dude's, the dude's a serial killer. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what I was saying before. You know, the other thing I was going to mention, and you probably you probably have talked about this before because we discussed Dave McGowan's uh, work on the show together. But I know that he wrote a lot. Aside from you know the strange tales of Laurel Canyon, there was other there too uh, to just talk about the subversive cultural movements of the the 60s and um and how it really is like you know a 20 year span from the 60s to the 80s is a really good time to start reaping a lot of the rewards of, of what you've implanted with people culturally outside of whatever the cia is doing outside of whatever uh you know you know the, the ch- major churches are 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 being uh infiltrated by and all that the rise of the serial killer the cult um, the the son of Sam kind of thing where everybody thought that that was just one guy talking uh, you know talking to his dog in his uh, in his apartment when it was uh, probably a lot more of like a, a a nationwide a nationwide network of crazy religious satanic uh, activity especially all the stuff that we, I mean anybody from around here knows about Untermyer Park in Yonkers. And, and then, of course, that starts popping up. And things like that, that has a whiff of truth, though nobody ever really went as far as laying it all out and confirming it for anyone. So it, it goes and gets relegated to the dustbin of conspiracy theory. And uh, that's, of course, where we start getting overcorrections by the media who, like you said, they will go and they'll sensationalize something. And suddenly every parent in the country is forbidding their kids from playing Dungeons and Dragons and any other kind of role playing game. And um, that's where that's where I guess the rubble, rubber really meets the road. What where in the hysteria was warranted and what was just really hysteria? Um, I mean, it was yeah, like, I think focusing on things like Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, that, right. I mean, this was kind of the the deflection. You know, you can think of other deflections too, like recently in Hollywood, when it was starting to come out that a lot of the PEDO stuff was becoming known. They immediately made it about feminism and Me Too. Mm-hmm. So Me Too deflected away from you know more pressing concerns about real abuse and focusing on you know other issues. I'm not saying women didn't get abused in Hollywood, but I think you know T R A F F. I C K I N G type stuff is worse than that. Indeed. So that was a deflection. I think in the same way, like you're saying, like focusing on metal albums and you know this kind of stupid stuff versus the real cases like Johnny Gosh and uh, Paul Bonacci and uh, things connected to the Franklin cover up. Uh, you know those those are cases with real meat to them that people just don't know about or they were buried. Meanwhile, you're focusing on all this stupid stuff like you're saying. Yeah. Well, well where, where are we going now today? Here's the real thing. I mean, obviously, we can keep going back to the 80s and, and what was going on there. and Because uh, it's obvious that we were on a slippery slope. I, I quipped before that we kind of went from satanic panic to satanic embrace. Because the media still treats this in the same way. They scoff a little bit. They, uh, they laugh at everybody who's on some kind of a crazy ghost hunt. But at the same time... Uh, I mean, look, look what's uh, look what's happening. I mean, you, there is it's not only just after school Satan clubs they're after school demon summoning exercises. They call it performative. They call it artsy. They call it, you know, whatever the hell else. And um, it's it's really something that um, you wonder where we are heading in 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 this this phase of it. Is this is this the um, is this what the 1980s hysteria bought us? 
is the is the sensationalism is this what it gave us that we're today we're actually dealing with a lot of naked in your face satanic luciferian activity that is now um we're we're almost like unable to do anything about it because they are the ones in control yeah exactly like so if this wasn't there in any sense if there was no legitimacy or real push for these elements then why is it now emerging openly in in pop culture um and you know people in the conspiracy world alternative media world you know they were warning about this a long time ago and pointing out that there was always in the counterculture this real authentic satanic element even back to you can go all the way back to madame blavatsky I know that Blavatsky wouldn't call herself a Satanist per se, but I think that ultimately theosophy is more or less a you know form of Satanism. I mean, it's a it's a, a false uh, occult concocted worldview, in my view, that prepared the way for, as did Crowley and his systems, the New Age. And so the New Age couldn't have happened without Blavatsky and what she pushed in terms of her her version of luciferianism and lucifer the light bearer and all that stuff so that's there uh, all the way back to her and then you've got the countercultural people that i said were authentic satan even if you think levey is like not real it, it's a form of satanism that's you know um social darwinism and all that so it was becoming public and then by the time of the 80s and the 90s we're getting warnings about what's really going on and what they always do when this happens is to you focus you divert onto this crazy stuff but now wait a minute it didn't exist it's all made up it's it's in the the minds of fanatical you know evangelicals here we are fast forward to 2016 17 18 19 20 2023 we have the open worship of baphomet statues we have the open satanic temples existing we have um, all of these different flavors of these groups we have movies coming out mentioning mass human t-r-a-f-f-i-c-k-i-n-g all this stuff is like coming out vindicating a lot of the suspicions and you know ideas that many christians and conservatives did warn about even though they might have gotten some things wrong right like yeah. you can be wrong you can basically be right about something and get some details wrong and in the media and all these people they'll highlight the detail that you got wrong as in and overlook the 90 95 that you got right that's the way the media lot one of the ways they lie is to focus on you know your crooked toenail but yeah i think you're absolutely right that no well, wait a minute if none of this stuff was real if it was totally inauthentic then why do we now have the open um, declaration of all of these different groups, which they're definitely low-level groups, uh, but they do reflect a real, you know, satanic impetus in the power structure. Yeah, hey, it's spiritual McCarthyism is what it really comes down to, because you know, which consisted, I think it was um, in whatever reading, it was like ten to twelve thousand. They uh, they'll say unsubstantiated cases of satanic ritual abuse in this time in the 1980s, which is why it was just so crazy. Every every time an- another one of these came out, it's just like the, the people were just telling their stories about, hey, this happened to me. And anyway, it's all unsubstantiated, so it's a panic about nothing. But you know, despite the denials, uh, even like Joe McCarthy, 
we're talking about McCarthyism. Uh, he's been largely vindicated generations later, as we've seen uh, see a nation awash in Marxism, and that, not to mention the revelations from the Venona Papers. So, um, you know, there there should be no doubt that there was something something going on that wasn't all hysteria. Would you be able to? Um, I would love for you to, to, to put this down in your own words because it's a conversation we've had many times before. And these two terms, Satanism and Luciferianism, are usually used by average people interchangeably because, you know, Satan, Lucifer, and we just figure, a, you know, it's all, it's all the same thing. But it's, it's actually not. And I'd love for you to, um, to put, it out, put it out on the line for me. I think for most people that use the term Luciferian, um, they mean Lucifer as a symbolic figure who represents Prometheus or man taking the fire of the gods and empowering himself. Uh, so if you look at, for example, the actual Bavarian Illuminati, they use the symbolism of fire uh, of the Zoroastrians and they would probably view Lucifer as a symbolic figure because they were Enlightenment Neoplatonists, uh, according to um, James Billington or uh, recent academic texts that we've been looking through on the history of Neoplatonism and its influence on people like Weishaupt uh, and um, other philosophers at that time. I don't know that they really believed in a, an ethereal being uh, that's an angel or whatever. Um, I think some of the groups that are theistic Satanists believe that there might be some actual real being that they're uh, invoking. Uh, and they might be real Satanists, you could say. Um, but I think a lot of these groups, groups are still kind of controlled, cut out, intelligence run things. They're used for different purposes, just like these tiny mustache men followers are used for different purposes, which has come out in the last few days in the news. Yeah. So, yes. um, so I would say that's what I think Luciferianism is. You know, you could have, for example, Albert Pike says, you know, Lucifer, the light bearer, he's this symbolic figure of man, um, you know, basically becoming kind of his own God. So you don't have to believe in an actual angel or something like that to, to be a Luciferian. Uh, I think a lot of high level Masons may or may not believe that. Um, I think that if you're a transhumanist, you're a Luciferian in the sense of seeing Lucifer as a symbolic figure of becoming your own God. Um, but there are probably again real groups real ritual magic groups that that do believe in the authentic idea of you know invoking an angel or whatever through ritual magic or sacrifice or whatever so i think all these things exist um yeah okay well would you know of any any situations where ritual magic has actually done the trick that they they set out to do where the invoking of one spirit or another actually did change some kind of, you know, some some matter that they were all focusing on, like where they, that there are any any kind of any kind of space where there is supernatural warring going on, where you know the forces of good, forces of evil, are actually uh, crossing barriers of of. You know, existence to be able to uh, manifest here or there. You ever actually hear about? I mean, we all we know that they're that people congregate for one reason or another. They are inflicting pain. They are they're going through ritual. They're saying very specific uh, words, invocations, anything like that. It, sometimes these rituals are ancient, 
and they're doing it for is it all performative or are they actually looking for some kind of a payoff and has anybody ever been paid off that you know of well like i said you know a lot of the groups do take it seriously um but whether or not their ritual magic is efficacious or effectual i don't know how we could really prove or demonstrate that i mean a lot of these groups also admit that they intentionally deceive (laughs) so we can't really take their word for it so I mean, you have, for example, people claiming that they would, um, that when Paul VI was installed as Pope, that this was a fulfillment of something that the OTO and the Curlians wanted all along. Do I know that that was achieved through ritual magic? I, I don't have any, any proof of that, or I have no way, there's, I don't think there's any way to know for sure. Hmm. Um, you know, that so there's a lot of claims that people will make, and they'll claim that their you know magic was efficacious to cause this or that thing to happen but i mean a more likely explanation is that the closest thing to that would be you know the use of certain substances in ritual magic might put you in contact with certain entities i mean a lot of the people in the a lot of the psychonauts you know uh, discuss their own personal interactions with these beings like john c Lilly or um Tim Leary's books about uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead, he describes those as um, similar to his experiences with LSD. And so he likens the LSD trip to interacting with the entities that you would see via passing on and dying, right? So the Tibetan Book of the Dead for him is a model of what happens in the acid trip. So, I mean, in that sense, maybe you could say that there's an interacting with the spiritual plane um but whether or not they're actually causing world events through their magic is just i mean i suppose i'm just saying i don't i don't know i don't know how we would know that or like prove that yeah well, you, well they, you... there's a lot of people that believe that mm-hmm. in those groups and they can use those people right to do certain things like for example i think um certain satanic groups might have been used to get rid of people that that they wanted to get rid of right so if the, let's say the establishment has somebody that they want to get rid of well you can contract that out to organized crime contract it out to a cult and then it's then it doesn't look like you oh yeah well you, well, you mentioned something before that i think is really right i think whereas Whereas there are some people who will see a Travis Scott concert or they will, uh, you know, the, any other things that are probably concerts, festivals, literally any award show, um, they'll say, oh, well, this is obviously there's something going on here. It really is just a mark of the culture at this point. It really, it's, I mean, I'm sure somebody is designing the sets and they know exactly what they're trying to convey, but it, it is also on autopilot. But it does seem like there is a, as you said before, a Hitlerian panic. And I think that there is there is there's a very easy to note where um, it has been uh, concentrating whatever powers that be that have you know your certain groups alphabet agencies that have done one thing or one op or another they are definitely planting this thought in people's head that there are just Nazis and KKK members living living next door and we live in a you know a, a country that's pockmarked with this kind of extremism when it's really really not but then just when when you you had your your laugh those idiots from Florida pop up on that bridge over there all wearing uh, cowboy hats and 
and black, black and red. When you see something like that, does it just does it scream op to you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's why that Rachel Blevins piece that I shared today that she did covering uh, Boneface. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, of course I've been you know flown around by the CIA and FBI. Sure. <laughs> but he, I mean, he, I just admitted did a live stream before. Before, before this, Frank, I just did a live stream on my channel um, getting into some of the history of uh, the post-World War II. What happened with the Galen organization was that um, the CIA took over all of the German World War II spy networks. And Galen was, uh, was really good at setting up and running spy networks. He was probably one of the best. And so the CIA said, well, if you, you know, let us have your networks, we'll give you basically your freedom back. This is actually the origin of the BND, which is Western German intelligence, is actually just all the old Galen network. And it was originally run first by uh, Galen. He was the head of West German Western intelligence until in the 1960s before he, he retired. So here, this is basically what Paperclip really is. And Paperclip connects to uh, Ukraine, Ukraine, because they, <laughs> I call it that to get around the algorithm, but uh, the networks there trained the uh tiny mustache men followers back then so there was networks set up post-world war ii of tiny mustache men followers in ukraine to be assets of the western power structure even post-world war ii and that's why there have always been these groups there the neo nasi groups um and they're still used today by uh the cia in the west that's why john mccain flew over there in uh, before he passed like 2014 there's pictures of him with all these same right sector probably sector um azov battalion these are all the same people and it's just very revelatory that that bone face guy was basically admitting all this in these interviews absolutely absolutely you know while we're talking about the 80s and all this stuff here the the seeds that were planted have you ever done any kind of a dive and i don't know maybe there's just nothing to it except it was just something that was done and after a while stopped but the faces of children on the side of milk cartons you ever look into that? Obviously, there's something very emotionally uh, provocative about that, whether you're a child yourself and you know that this is a kid your age and they're gone now, and, or if you're a parent and you're thinking about your, your child and whether or not that could be them one day. But then again, you know, it is one child on the face of a, of a milk carton and there's thousands that go missing every day. So it's... It's just one of those things. Is it good messaging to say, hey, watch out for your kids and look out for this one? Or was there something There's something to that that didn't pass the sniff test as well? Because now it's, it doesn't happen anymore. Um, it's a good question. I don't actually know about that. Um, I mean, I remember in the 80s seeing faces on milk cartons. Um, but, but I don't recall any information i haven't researched anything like that i mean i have i don't know if there is anything i just wonder it yeah, just popped into question. my it popped into my head today because it's just you know it's one of those things that we all have a memory of even if you're growing up in the 90s then suddenly it's gone and it was it's not a happy memory either because you look at the birth date you say oh they're they're only a, a week older than me i'm only a week old you know and um and then all of a sudden that's that's all gone there right yeah it's a good question i mean you know the recent operation freedom movie has called attention to a lot of this and the really kind of outrageous numbers that are involved hmm. uh and you know i think that's definitely a real angle to how the system works 
with compromising people with um, you know black market funding war zones often become uh, places where people can then be t-r-a-f-f-i-c-k-e-d right mm-hmm. uh, so i think that you know this is all very real but then what happens is they will call attention to ridiculous stuff to deflect from it right we saw that with um the the pizza things <laughs> that we remember from a few years ago you know what i'm talking about right yeah and so and i'm not saying there's nothing to but i'm saying like they'll have these outlandish versions of that and they were saying at the time oh it's a new satanic panic it's all fake well it may not be as extreme as what the crazy stories are but that doesn't mean there's nothing there right 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 i, mean, I think that it's, it's the same thing with the the human traffic stuff um the traffic stops we'll say uh that is a very mass industrial scale operation and people who have been involved in it are public about it um again whether they're telling the whole truth or not i don't know but it it makes perfect sense to people that are researching um how cults are used how human trafficking happens i mean just look at the finders they just declassified all the finder stuff like three or four years ago they that was around the same time about three or four years ago the fbi vault account on twitter they also i think it was in the middle of the finders the finders drop that the fbi published was people said well how the hell this get in there there are a couple of pages on on mcmartin Yeah. You, you brought that before and now and you're talking about you know the whole satanic panic demean it all i remember mother jones or the daily beast one crazy uh, outlet like that they were doing a they're taking some time out to scoff at people who looked into things like uh the mcmartin school just laughing at people were saying that there was no abuse there that uh that there was a little bit of neglect and but there was no tunnels there was no sacrificed animals all that stuff and here you go like around the no, same there were tunnels oh yeah there were tunnels and there's animal bones sacrificial you can tell what was going on there and that was all in that drop that the right. fbi released but still the media there is a operation that that needs to go on no matter what they keep looking straight ahead they laugh, they laugh, they demean, they deny, and then, um, and then I don't know, when there's no other way to go, they just call it performance art, and that you're just making too big a deal of it. So obviously we keep marching toward wherever we were already on the track for in the 1980s and before. So it's just really a matter of uh, where can we actually go next? That's it. Uh, well, there was, uh, I covered, I think we talked about it, I covered a couple of years ago, this uh, Australian Satanist's famous, semi-famous, uh, like his obituary. It's like his last essay that he wrote because he was going to die. And it was really, it was going around alternative media, maybe t- 2011 or 12. And the full essay is fascinating because it's like 20 pages. And he goes on to talk about um, how he intends on Bring, he, he wants to see Australia become a uh, basically a, a new world order country and that it will happen and there will be a total basically lockdown of the country. And he says that this is all just a test example for the rest of the world, which will eventually go under a satanic aeon. He uh. calls it that. And it's a really, I highly recommend reading an essay because you could say, Oh, it's all baloney, which a lot of the comments when I covered this on YouTube, it got quite a, quite a few views uh, at the time. And a lot of the 
debunkers were saying, oh, it's all just BS, dude. Okay, maybe it is, but like, how did he know that Australia is like a satanically run government that would basically shut everybody down? And <laughs> I mean, that's what happened in Coof, right? Yeah. And this, uh, this eulogy or whatever we want to call it, his final essay, this was written like in 2011 or 12. So, you know, it's not like this was written last week. I remember reading it back at the time and thinking it's pretty wild. Um, but, you know, if there there is truth to this, the satanic side of the conspiracy, and they call it the process and all this kind of stuff, it is ultimately intended to kind of depop and bring a new aeon. Mm-hmm. They want a new age, new aeon where only those fit to survive, survive. And so a lot of what's happening now is kind of a uh, calling. They want it to be a calling, maybe not right now, but between now 2030, 2040, right? That's the, the calling period. So whether that's true or not, according to a real satanic agenda in terms of the cults themselves, I mean, I do think there's a being called Satan who ultimately is in charge of this stuff because I believe the orthodox worldview, but whether or not the satanic cults themselves are really calling the shots is hard to say, but it doesn't really matter because, you know, Brzezinski, Rockefeller, Kissinger, all, all these characters, they share that same basic worldview. Yes, and you know, you were talking, you mentioned Albert Pike before. Uh, you, and we, you and I have talked about the fabled letter, Albert Pike, um, and the three world wars. Uh, but, but really what it was all leading up to is what he uh, termed, he coined as the final social cataclysm. And um, if that is, to, if anything like that, whatever the hell it may be, comes to comes to pass then yeah what would be left would be what i mean uh in the theory is that we are talking about the final ushering in of a luciferian aeon and where that it reigns supreme because the final social cataclysm was supposed to actually pit the atheists against the christians because of course the 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 atheists were the the dupes who were in this in this story were the dupes that took the that took the yeah. bait that there was right. no God, that there was nothing there. You should destroy these Christians, and really what they're doing is carrying water for who wants to ascend and, uh, and claim the throne on earth. So um, that, would be, that would be one hell of a, uh, an idea if, if that is what this is all leading toward. But I, 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 I don't know if I could, I could describe those types of real spiritual motives to like the CIA. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it's possible because maybe there's just... It's hard to say because, you know, that's a lot of people. It's a big organization. And, uh, you know, I, I doubt that everybody at the lower levels, you know, paper pushers and people doing analysis probably don't care about religion at all, except insofar as it relates to, you know, running Islamic operatives or something like that. I mean, then they want to know about Islam. But... Um, you know, a lot of the CIA movers and shakers have had very intense interests in occultism, uh, in the New Age movement, um, in new forms of spirituality. So actually, new thought, positive thinking, um, all the stuff coming out of the Esalen Institute, uh, that's all basically coming out of British intelligence and CIA people. So there's, a, there's definitely an element to that apparatus pentagon and others that do want to see 
because they have higher masters, right? They mm -hmm. do want to see that new Aeon. And people don't know, but H.G. Wells wrote a book about the, the, the new world religion that would come. And it's not the other books. It's not uh, New World Order or Open Conspiracy or War of the Worlds. No, it's another book called God, the Invisible King. And he says, the God of the future is Lucifer. So whether the Pike letter is authentic or not, the idea there is kind of true, which is that it's, it's expressed more accurately in H.G. Wells's uh, God, the Invisible King book. Oh, you, let me ask you this. Here's a question that came in from uh, Me Seeks. Mr. Me Seeks says, hey, do, do you ever read anything from Russ Dizdar? Diz do you know who this is? Uh, I mean, I've heard his name. I know he's like an evangelical kind of Nephilim in times too. Okay. No, I don't, I All right. He talks about, but I, no, I haven't followed any of this stuff. Okay. The question was whether or not you put any any uh, weight into his talks about what he says is a black awakening, but I guess we'll say that for some other time. Um, I'm not familiar with what, what he's talking about. Well, as far as hiding in plain sight, since I brought it up before, let me ask you this about Scientology. Um, what would you what would you say that role is there is there a role in the overall it's not you know it doesn't um people talk about it as a a very violent organized crime network it uh it was very it's coercive it's uh e exploitative there is a lot of extortion and abuse that goes on there mind control so it is very cult like um but does it ever pop up in your analysis as far as the the big players in the field and in in subverting us uh into whatever direction we're going where does scientology uh fall in there i think it's one of the key uh, cults that come out of that period. I know it's not a new age cult, but it comes out of that period when the new age is really kicking off um, or beginning right before it's going to kick off. Uh, so it corresponds to that time of cultural upheaval and change in the West and America, which the counterculture, I think, was largely uh, created, engineered, and, and steered. Um, not everybody. There was plenty of people who were organic counterculture people anti-war people and so forth but uh when it turns into total hedonism that seems to be when it's completely steered and co-opted uh, now i'm not saying that scientology is hedonistic but i think that if you look into l ron hubbard's history of his connections to crowley and coming out of that crowleyan school of how to create your own religion i mean it's basically what crowley's system is is a way it's a, you learn to create your own religion and that's why many of his devotees went on to do that Gerald Gardner goes on to create Wicca um, you've got Hubbard going on to, to create Scientology and there's other examples as well that people split off and create their own groups so it's kind of like a grad school in creating religion and I think that uh, Hubbard with his what looks to be some degree of military intelligence connection I think that's something to look at that's kind of suspect um, the Scientology seems to have had some opposition to the FBI uh, at various points if you watch all the documentaries and whatnot but that doesn't mean that they couldn't have had like connections with other agencies like the CIA right right so I think there's probably something to that I don't know exactly what to say about the whole history of Scientology per se but I think that the religion is a it's definitely what seems to be a concocted kind of wild uh, space cult that is a perfect example of like a you know mind control 
technology. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm with you on I that. I don't know how far that will fit into like the global religion or whatever. Yeah, that's, I, and that's what I, I, I often think about uh, when I think about all the players. Every once in a while I get reminded of something like Scientology. And I'm saying, are these guys really just on, a, on an island of their own? Um, they've kind of bullied their way into religious status by overwhelming the federal government with, uh, with complaints and, and just mail. They didn't figure to, to be able to answer all the mail and, and all the complaints. They just give them tax-exempt status, and all of a sudden they're a religion in the eyes of the law. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if, uh, if they're going to be doing any any uh, one world religion summits with the with the Muslims and, and the uh, and, and the Vatican in, in the Middle East somewhere. I think they're just always just in the corner. I guess I guess perhaps it's just a reflection of no matter how much people get together to try to steer the world in one direction or other, there's always going to be those outliers that uh, perhaps there are no strings attached, even though they do have interesting pasts. Uh, well, I, I guess that's yet yet to be seen. Um, Jay, uh, is there anything that you got coming up for you now that you want people to keep all their attention on? Any new releases, a a debate or anything coming up soon, or any appearances that you want to talk about? Uh, just, you know, on the on Fridays, I host the, the fourth hour of Alex. Uh, that's every Friday. Um, other appearances. Uh, well, we just did a pretty big Muslim debate, so I don't think there's any new debates coming up. Uh, oh, I missed that. I missed that one. How did you like? How did that go? Uh, it was probably the most famous of Muslim opponents so far. I debated Daniel Hakikachu about two or three weeks ago. Um, I think it went about as expected. So it was kind of a stalemate. <laughs> kind of goofy. No, <laughs> it's stalemate. <laughs> what were like? You know, obviously nobody. Yeah, no, we, we we have a pretty good track record of um, doing pretty well i think against muslim opponents but um other appearances not I, I mean i can't think of anything other than to just check out my channel and you know the, the consistent live streams that we do and check out my rock fin and um you know follow me on uh, twitter and all that well that's gonna be now what did we describe what did we uh settle on for october we said monday nights we were going to do the uh the 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 book clubs I think that would probably work well. And also, if people want my books, you can go to my website, get my 600-page book with all my theology, geopolitics essays right here. And then all the Hollywood books are still there as well. If you want to support my work, and you can subscribe at the website as well. That's all on Jay's analysis. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, as I just said before, Jay and I are going to uh, co-host for a second title in the same year. We did uh, we did uh, Brave New World back yeah, in... That was a lot of fun. That yeah. was a lot of fun. And it really set the tone for the rest of the year, i got to say. Um, and I, I've seen that you've referenced now, it. Now, you and uh, uh, Tim did Malachi Martin, right? We did Malachi Martin. That was a six hundred something page book. So that was <laughs> right. that was last March, and we ended in August, somewhere around wow. there. And then, um, yeah, that was probably about twelve sessions. Uh, but th but to start off the year, we did C.S. Lewis. We did The Great Divorce in in January, and then in in March, you and I did Brave New World. So thinking, I mean, Tim wants to come and do another uh, another book, and we're looking for titles. But he he's he wants to do Tolkien, and which is like ah, like each book is the size of the Bible, and I'm just like how. I'll tell you what you guys need to do. What? You need to do C.S. Lewis's space trilogy. Okay, I'll. I'll I'm I mean, gonna... it's all about transhumanism, aliens or demons. It's great. 
All right. I'll look into it because I really want to do the. I want to read personally. I've never read The Hobbit. I never read any of that stuff. But to do it in a book club form, I mean, you're, you're dedicating an entire year to one book. Well, the, the Space Trilogy is not near as long as Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. C.S. Lewis is pretty um, easily digested. Man, that would be great if we well, all. I'll, I'll go ahead and warn you, though. The Space Trilogy is actually really. It's pretty. Actually, it's a lot heavier, deeper reading than you would expect. It's not like Narnia. Like, no. Narnia is written for kids. Space Trilogy is written for adults. Okay. So, All right. it's, I mean, they're not long, but they're, they're it's, it's, uh, they're really sophisticated. Well, one day, I don't know if it'll work out because it's. I like to keep those uh, those sessions to about an hour for every every meetup. But that would be great if well uh, if we three did something, even if we we did like a book club session for a short like a novella, something that is short to the point that would really stir up some great conversation and debate. Um, we should keep an eye open for that because that would be that'd be something else. Yeah, there's a lot of like dystopian novellas you could do, Clockwork Orange, something like that. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, let's let's uh, put it in the bank. Let's see what happens. Jay Dyer, jaysanalysis.com. It's always great to have you on, man. Thank you, Frank. Always a pleasure to be with you. Looking forward to uh, Godfather. Oh, hell yes. I'll talk to you soon. Later. There you go. There is Jay, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to take a really quick break. When we come back, your calls and questions, but I also have some stories here satanic panic stories maybe this will dig up some bring up some memories for you i'm sure some of you guys haven't thought about the faces on the side of milk cartons in a long time but those weren't happy memories they're always very glum you know there's one thing to sit down in front of a box of cocoa puffs or something like that and eat your cereal in the morning and just you know you follow the maze and you're, you're just reading things you're reading the nutrition label and it's like the most enthralling thing that you have ever read in your life there's nothing more interesting than back of a cereal box. But um, it's the opposite feeling when you're just like studying the face of a kid that you're like, oh, I wonder where they are right now. Are they in a basement somewhere? You know, are they in a, in, in a, in a, in a chicken cage or something like that? And then you're like, oh, man, we're the same age. I don't want to go out today. You know, it, it's all messed up. It really is. But that was part of it. It was part of a, a time that's gone, obviously. And um, we'll take your calls and see what you think about that. Another great call with Jay Dyer. We'll be right back. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Ladies and Welcome to intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Entering 
quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Quite frankly. Go Brandon. Quite frankly. In Roma Italia. Quite frankly. You're going on Frank's show tonight? I want to get a Coke. Can I get a Coke? So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? What are some of your favorite Jay Dyer, uh, Jay Dyerisms? Uh, Jay has a very, uh, a very funny, deadpan way of getting around algorithmic restrictions with language and all that stuff. Uh, Lauren texted me in the middle of the broadcast, uh, with the, in the middle of the interview with Jay, and she, she quoted Tiny Mustache Man followers. Can't say Nazi. <laughs> I like that, Tiny Mustache Man followers. But that's just, uh, those Jay Diarisms are, are great. So you let me know. You let me know. Oh, I sh you know what I was going to ask him? I said we, we needed to do, we needed to pose on the screen and do a dual soy face pose so that we can cut it all out. You know the, the pointing behind pose? He loves doing soy faces. I said we should do it. I completely blanked. I wanted to do a dual soy face pose with him. But maybe next time. Anyway. Tiny Mustache Man followers, be gone. Let's go into our Super Chats. Thank you, Stostubes. It's Super Chat time. In support of great independent media, here's tonight's little token of our appreciation for a great listen. Thank you so much for everything, man. It's great to be appreciated like that. And again, just to let you all know that anybody who sends in a Super Chat from now until next Friday, the 15th, you will be in the running for my copy of Eric Larson's The Devil in the White City. And next week is when I put the book club series live publicly. So, um, and that's the other great thing. You know, I don't, even though I, I want more and more people to become monthly sponsors of the show and uh, subsequently new live participants in our reading and analysis and book club and all that stuff. Uh, ultimately, weeks after, a couple of weeks after we finish up a book, I'll always put it public. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing like watching it live and being a part of the chats and, and having your stuff read on air and all the official threads and stuff. So I hope that uh, I hope that many of you have bought the books afterwards and, and had a somewhat authentic book club experience with us on demand and maybe that inspires you to jump on live with us so thank you again thank you again one and all all right what else what else on pill thank you robert sarns thank you c blanche thank you pc tech pro and witchy poo says happy birthday month aurora oh 
done that every night so far this month. I can't I can't thank you enough. And Aurora thanks you too. I'm thanking you on her behalf. Alright, so let's go into a little bit of the, the stories. Listen to these satanic panic stories. It was a thread that was started uh, a year ago. And I wanted to jump into some of these. I'll keep reading them. And what we'll do is we'll open up the lines. The phone number... Hold on, let me get the satanic panic story line. Satanic panic. There you go. The satanic panic line is 914-369-1236. And the regular line... General line, 914-200-0269. But it'll be good to have two going at the same time because then I'll know... Uh, I don't know exactly what I'm getting. Now listen to this. This is how the thread was was set up. The satanic panic was a moral panic that started in the 1980s, mostly went into remission in the late 90s, and once again seeped into discourse today. What kind of stories do folks have about this particular panic? What have you seen, experienced, or dealt with? Let's see. First one up is from Stuck With Name. Said, when I wanted to give this D&D thing Dungeons and Dragons a try in the mid 80s my mom shut it right down my stepfather spewed some garbage about satanic stuff like he did about the black masking and that was it a few years later I started with MERP no problem Dungeons and Dragons etc weren't a problem anymore either a few years later because it all died down eventually I asked my mother what the deal was and she said it was about a custody dispute custody dispute with my dad listen to this Custody dispute with my dad. Her lawyer had advised her to keep me away from Dungeons and Dragons because it could get her declared an unfit parent. Wow. Hey, Frank Zell. What's going on, man? Hey, Frank. What's happening, brother? Oh, man. It's good to hear from you again. What the hell's, what the hell's been going on with you? Uh, just work, man. Just life in general. Yeah? Yeah? You have any, yeah. any soft spots in the, in the schedule uh, this fall? Uh, I'm hoping things ease up come the fall. You know what? I can't leave my brother hanging. I got him on the other line. Oh, he's oh shoot! We have both Zells tonight, huh? <laughs> hold on, hold on. Okay. Jim. Yeah. Jim, we got Frank. Jim. Jim, Frank. Yeah. Frank. Gang Frank. here. Okay, everybody's here. See that everybody? Three distinct voices. Frank and Jim are not the same person. <laughs> See, they laughed. They, they laughed at the same time. Uh, so, listen, uh, this is really wonderful to have both of you on with me tonight. I haven't heard from you in a while. Everybody's always very happy when you stop by. What did you have to? Um, I mean, you guys were probably doing a lot of the work that established you uh, in private investigation and all this stuff during at least the latter parts of the Satanic Panic. What would you say? Uh, what kind of commentary would you lay down on what was just hype and what was very real? Well, for for us, like, we grew up in the 80s, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. this is, like, we had, once I got, like, me and my brother started getting into this stuff, we had to go backwards. Like, so McMartin was, like, the early 80s. So I was, you know, I was early teens. So I, we were too young to fully understand. We were, you know, like, my biggest thing with McMartin was how the media... I did not understand it, seeing it on the news and seeing all the shows about it. That why were they attacking the victims? It didn't. It didn't register. 
and it always stuck in my head, even when I was a kid. But, you know, as you get older and once you got into it, you understand because, and, you know, Jay, Jay Dyer is a great guest. I love Jay. He's great to listen to. But, uh, you know, he gets it. If the, the media will try to deflect. If you, can, if you can't deflect, you attack. And if you can't, and if you're afraid to attack with the media because you want to try to keep things under wraps, you ignore. Mm-hmm. That was, that's probably the biggest weapon is uh, ignoring the story. Because before computers and before cell phones and all that, if the media didn't report it, it's like it never occurred. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It, but it's like half, half of this country, I mean, this was after Franklin was over. Never heard of that story. I could walk, I could go around and ask a thousand people. None of them would say, "What's that?" Never heard of it. Oh, a lot. You know, to, to your point, a lot more people they they know about Nexium. They know about obviously about uh, whatever we have been allowed to to uh, hear uh, about. Um, about uh, Epstein and Maxwell, a, a lot of that coverage was probably forced into the media just because we have, we had smaller papers, most of them online, like the, that, that, that Miami paper. Nobody has the Miami paper that was talking about uh, Maxwell and Epstein. Nobody has any subscriptions to that Miami Herald over here in New York. That was all circulated online, and and of course it was uh, it was ex- it was magnified by uh, an, an internet culture of of sleuths who who actually want to dig beyond what the the very thin veneer of uh, what they call news is fed to us every night so who know i mean th- that's there's a lot more people who are learning about franklin now than ever before because at the time like you said if it, if it wasn't talked about it's like it never happened i mean all you had back then was 247 and that's it and then, okay, and then you had uh, CNN, you know, the early stage of the CNN. You weren't hearing about that. I mean, maybe they would mention a snippet or something about a financial scandal, but they didn't go in. They didn't go into any of the stuff that was really going down behind the scenes. Mm. So there was no way for anybody to know. And, ra- and never mind trying to wrap your head. You can't wrap your head around something that you don't know anything about. That's but true. anyway, yeah, you know, and. Your comment about the uh, about the milk cartons. Hmm. I think I think Johnny Goss. I think he was one of the first. Uh, if he wasn't yeah. the first one, he was one of the first two, right, Jim? Gosh was one. Um, I think the first kid was a uh, kid named uh, Pat. P A T Z. What yeah, I, I know, Gosh was on it. Johnny Gosh, Gosh was the yeah, second. Johnny, he was the second Johnny, one to ever. That's all right, Frank. No, I'm I, I just I, you. were saying that he was the second one to ever be on a milk carton. I, he was one of the earlier kids to be on milk cartons, Johnny Dodge. Wow. And the milk carton, yeah. the milk carton didn't go away per se. It's yeah, technically it's not on the milk carton, but you don't have to be on the milk carton when you can be on a billboard off the New Jersey Turnpike. I see a different kid every day. Hmm. Huge, much big, much bigger than a milk carton. Have you seen me? Face, description, same thing. Age, where they were last seen. I see those billboards everywhere, every day. So it's it, they never went. It hasn't gone away. 
It's just another another delivery system. Amber Alerts. You know, it's another way to let you know a kid's gone. Yeah, yeah to and cell phone. So, Jim, Jim, why don't you talk yeah. a, talk a little bit about this too here um, from your perspective? Like what I was bringing up tonight with uh, with Jay. We have the the overcorrections where you know parents are don't you dare touch that that Dungeon and Dragons game don't you dare touch this you know they're they're sat- satanists all over you're going to be sucked into a world of Satan worship and all that other stuff but on the on the same side uh, you know in that late seventies or eighties going throughout that decade there you and I I mean you me and Frank we all got together and talked about that Sons of Sam um, uh, mm. series. And what was mm-hmm. really just highly, it was highly effective terror programming over here in New York in 1978, that there's a gunman on the loose, he's looking for a certain type of person, but when, uh, it, nobody ever, ever backed up and tried to look at whether or not it could be plugged into a, a national situation. So there's a little bit more of a fine focus, broad focus situation. What would you say are the biggest takeaways about the truth versus the hysteria of the satanic panic? Yeah, I think uh, Jay uh, stated it very well where he said they take the more fringe, more ridiculous uh, cases that have obvious holes and, and and maybe if you did a little research or fraudulent, once you look a little deeper, they put those cases out there and then they're, they poke holes in them and then they're ridiculed in a way. Like, so those cases are put up front, they get a lot of showtime and then they're mocked because they're clearly fraudulent but then you have the real cases that happen every day that are not really that are not really discussed so that was a very good point by jay in that matter and in the son of sam like you talked about um they isolate and they hype on just that one thing a lone gunman you know that's all it is you know just a lone gunman when really the matter of fact was it was most likely a some type of satanic cult of people that were you know, crazed and made semi-organized throughout the United States committing these acts. They did not want to put that out there, but they just made it a one focus. It's like the lone gunman theory. That's it. That's all it could be. It can't be an organized conspiracy. Uh, but I do agree with Jay that they, when they do talk about a case, it'll be a something fringe, something more uh, that you're not as believable and that, that could be easily, uh, you know, torn apart and mocked and instead of looking at the real cases that have you know substantial evidence to it mm. um frank let, let me and, ask, go, oh i'm if, sorry go ahead if i could just if i could just if i could just jump in on, on on your question to my brother another reason for the hysteria is that it started to in the 80s starting in the early 80s let's say mcmartin then let's go with the presidio case and then fast forward a little a few more years and then you got west point it started to connect to elements of the government that's why i believe the media did what what they did to try to discredit the whole thing hence the satanic panic that's because the connections were starting to be made and they started to maybe lose their grasp on it so they said okay Ignoring is not going to work. Now we discredit and attack. Mm-hmm. And that's what the media, and that's where that, 
And that's that. And that's that phrase. Strictly known for like the '80s, the satanic panic. But when you look at why and look at the cases that were going on, there were connections to people in government and people in the military. You know, Aquino at the Presidio. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, frankly, you had all types. You know, you know businessmen, government officials, military officials. Yeah, so. I mean- Go ahead, Jim. The Presidio is like, when they were looking into that and they were seriously investigating it, the building next door to the daycare that was under investigation that had a lot of paperwork, that burned down. And then the following month, the daycare center burned down and they had and they lost everything. And the Army investigation said, oh, it was faulty wiring, but the uh, outside investigators said, no, this was clearly arson. <laughs> so they were actually covering it up. And, you know, these were serious claims. You know, these children had sexual, uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Hmm. I mean, these were three-year-olds, four-year-olds. And so, yeah, my brother makes a good point there that it was starting to have an, a, 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 a government link to it. And, and, and it's still the same to this day. You know, if you remember Operation, what was it, Operation Flicker, Frank, in 2010, where they found all the the child pornography, uh, you know, on the government computers, State Department, um, people with high security clearances, thousands of them. This was in 2010, and uh, very few, if any, got prosecuted for it. Is that around so, the time? Is that around the time that we had? Um, is that separate from what they found at the State Department under under the uh, under the directorship of? Uh, uh, Hillary Clinton. I remember when when Chuck Todd was was talking about that. Is I either. think that's I, I yeah that's the that's the why I think that's one and the same. Yeah, yeah, wow. one and the same. Uh, let me ask you guys I, this. I'll go go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Frank. Go ahead. What's your, what's your question? Well, I was, I was just gonna segue to something else, but go ahead, ask your question. Well, hold your thought on that because I want both of your opinions on this. It 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 has to do with a uh, our guest that we had on last week, Mike King. And uh, Mike King came on. We were talking true crime one night, serial killers. We were talking about cults that night as well. And I asked him uh, specifically when it came to profiling. uh, To profile is one thing, an individual. But as far as certain types of trends, certain types of conditions in society uh, that make it rife with turmoil, turmoil of the individual, where you are more likely to see more of these these individuals these crazed individuals created just by the way that society is uh by and large you know where, where it's what direction it's all heading in and i asked him if you analyze the trends the social trends we have do you think that we are worse off obviously you have to take account the fact that we have more people in the country than we ever had before so whatever kind of psychopathic um, percentage we are going to have is has to you know grow by just by uh, that that magnitude whatever but he didn't think that things were that much worse than they ever had been that there are still psychos out there there's a lot there's a there's far more crime than there are people out there with the ability and the resources to to uh to bring people to justice or or dare i say prevent it but what do you guys think i mean you track social trends as well too do you think that we are sicker more violent and more deviant than ever before or do you think that we're on uh, what is a always been here, always will be kind of heading? 
That's a big question. You want to tackle that one, Jim? <laughs> I'll let you tackle that one. Well, I think, um, you know, I believe in the human depravity, and I think it's been that way since, you know, <laughs> the, yeah, I agree there. Since, since the fall of mankind. And so you want to talk about how long depravity has been around. It's been with us from the very, you know, once the fall took place. To, to to current and and there's been atrocities committed all throughout history, all types of of of, of disgusting, degenerate behavior all throughout history. You can look in any century and find a crazy cases, disturbing cases. Um, so, are we at, are we any worse? I think in the sense of what we're able to commit and the. the uh, degenerate act a human being can commit. I don't think we're any worse. I think what has changed, and you touched on it briefly with Jay, is that there were certain values that were in place. You know, there was a if in this in our country anyway, and like that has been like yeah, a, like restraint, a restraint, that, and that has been removed, and it is being removed. Where those values are no longer there, it's a moral relativism that that is going around that's extremely dangerous because when if you're a moral relativist let's be honest you know whatever you think is you know if if you think uh you know me slapping a, a child across the face is that that's just a preference that's not wrong mm-hmm. i could uh sexually abuse a child that's not that's not wrong per se that's just a taste that's just a preference if you know once you go slip into that moral relativism and we're long, we're long past that already. Anything goes, and I think that is where the shift has taken place. But human beings, ever since the fall, are were capable of great things, good things, but also capable of terribly depraved acts all throughout history. But we, but we're losing the value and 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 the ethos, uh, the the moral um, anchor that yeah. was once there with a Christian value in our country and that's, that's disappearing. So that, that's the big change in my, my view. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the opening of Pandora's box. As you said, Frank, what do you, what do you say about that? I, I agree with my brother. I, uh, from a violent standpoint, I believe that we are becoming a more violent nation in a, uh, in a way. So that's, I mean, now actually, you know, violence related to crime, yeah, more crime, you know, uh, people become more violent. There's going to be more crime. But, but what we're talking about, you're talking about, we're talking about satanic groups. We're talking about crimes against children. Has that been going on? Yeah, probably for, you know, it's a, it's biblical. I mean, it goes all the way back. So it, has it always been going on? Yes. But because of the wealth of information we have at our fingertips now, you, you get to see it all right in front of your face right away. Like you, it, it's like an overload. Ah. So like people researching this stuff, like back when me and my brother were doing this, when we first got started, it was reading news stories. Then you have to contact the reporter and then you have to get the reporter to tell you, or you, or you read a book and you contacted the author. Then you'd have to get the witnesses names then you'd call them. Then you get other victims names. And, it was a it was a long trek on each individual story that you were doing or case that you were in the, look looking into. 
But now, man, you just type in something on the internet and it all just comes up and smacks you right in the face. So it can be overwhelming. So I guess we agree with your, at the end of the day, we agree with your, what the guest said is that, uh, yeah, it's been around. It's always been happening. Maybe a little worse now as the, as my brother says, as the restraint is being loosened and the, they've chipped away at the anchor, uh, so to speak. Yeah, you know God being uh, God being a big part of our country for such a length of time, and then having it removed slowly but surely over a period of decades from the you know from the you know from the from the government sector from that from the public sector. So yeah, it's 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 going to have a, a an effect. So I have uh, that's why I, I asked them. I'm sorry, thank you. Oh, I'm can sorry. I, can I, just, you, I didn't hear the show with Mike King. Did, did you guys talk about the Chicago Ripper, uh, Ripper crew? No. No. Okay. I, I so was, that was that I was, was that was one group that came to mind when you were talking to Jay. Tell and us. Was in the tell early us about 80s. them. So the, in the early yeah, 80s, Chicago what about them? 1980, circa 1981, around there. You had four individuals were going on a killing spree. And this was a group of Satanists. They would meet, they called the, they, they would meet in this one kid's attic and they would uh, worship Satan. Seances, you know, the whole blood, the whole blood, no, just, just different rituals. And what they were doing was they were going around and they would randomly abduct women and then they would butcher, torture, uh, murder, amputate parts of the body, usually the breasts, which they would use in their rituals when worshiping Satan and trying to summon demons. And they would drink stuff out of the women's breasts, you know, disgusting stuff. But, you know, that they killed close to 20 women. Wow. And that was, a, and that was pure Satanism. That's what they were doing. Not a lot of people know about them, but you know, just type in Chicago Ripper Crew, and you know, you'll you could pull up. You know, there's plenty. I think A and E did a show about them a few years back, and there's plenty of articles on them. Hey, but, if you uh, want to see a, if you want to see a more recent case, look at the one that's going on in Scotland right now. Eleven are being charged with satanic uh, ritual abuse. You know, the same thing: seances, witchcraft, drinking of blood, uh, child rape. That, that that was going out. They were talking about that case maybe about five hours ago. You see, when I hear about that, yeah, yeah. when I hear about that, anybody getting charged or they're bringing out a circle of people that are doing that in Scotland or anywhere else, it, it tells me that there are still places that there are still, uh, I, I mean, obviously some things are too big to ignore, perhaps, uh, as because as you've said in the past, there are some times where there are entire towns or cities that are uh, that are involved and in on it and are looking to kind of incubate themselves and deal with matters uh, in their own very quiet ways. But it's great to hear that you know uh, packs of animals like this are busted up from time to time, and I think that's the big thing, your big reason why I brought up absence of faith or a shrinking, dwindling religious faith in, in our country and elsewhere to someone like Mike King when I was formulating that question about cultural trends and what conditions create more of this, um, 
of this madness over here. And it's just because, you know, whereas faith is gone, uh, people are just left a little bit more void. Uh, Politics starts filling that up. Other kinds of self-interest fills that void. And then, um, you know, that politics becomes a religion in itself. And because we are exactly right. And I and I guess what I would say is because we're so politically divided, it doesn't necessarily mean that more people are going to be open to the idea of abusing children or whatever. But politics is making more people more likely to turn a blind eye to something that is serious and needs very serious attention. But it smacks of. It smacks of a subject matter that their political opponent would look into, and they don't want to take it seriously because they don't want to be in the same boat as the Red Sox fan across the street. You know, whatever the hell it is that's keeping them aside. It's that kind of shit. It's almost like a political indifference has made very, very um, important and uh, urgent matters seem like a uh, a political boulder that, that that mustn't be moved because there would be some kind of concession being made to your your arch enemy and uh, and in the meantime people who need help are suffering yeah well I, I i agree i agree with you frank regarding uh, politics you know they that's the old saying where they say religion uh, is the opiate of the masses but politics is the opiate of the unbeliever mm. right and, and regarding the state, you know, the state is playing a part. The state is trying to make, in my view, the state wants to be God. It used to be where the state was attached to God in a biblical sense, God ordaining government, God ordaining the state, and they were tied together. The state has pulled away from God and not only pulled away, doesn't acknowledge God. The state wants people to worship it you know, in and of itself. And that quote I sent you from J.C. Ryle that talked about, you know, that was like from 150 years ago, and it really stuck with me. And there's a part in that quote that I sent you that talked about how the state or the government basically treats its people like they have no soul. And that is very true. Mm-hmm. The, the government treats its people like there's no soul to them. That's very important. They, they want that aspect removed, and they want whatever worship or whatever your, your, your religious focus, they want it off of God and onto itself. You know, it's, 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 it's crazy. Well, wild uh, times we live in. Oh, very wild. Uh, do you guys have anything? Uh, I, I know that you, you, you can't make news up. You just have to be ready to report on something, and then you have to wait until new developments uh uh, arise so um, you're not always active on your blog but what is going on within the zeller.com anything anything new that you're working on that that may be coming up well I was actually gonna you know mention it since you know the majority of the stuff you know that we have done recently was on you know what was going on in Utah County and it's it, it's a great point for the talk we're having right now because like I said, the, what does the media do? If they, they'll ridicule, they'll attack. And if they don't want something exposed, they want to keep it under wraps, they ignore. You see any major, like nationwide, talk about what's going on in Utah County. Yes, you'll have the local Fox affiliate 
you know, uh, Adam, you know, Adam Herbert, he's covered it. But I'm saying from a nationwide standpoint, there's been there's been nothing. Most people that if you mention Utah County to them, they'll just say, "What's going on in Utah County?" Meanwhile, you got not one but two arrests in the case, and when and that is a huge satanic cover, whatever the hell it is, under the under the cover of the Mormon Church. But why does the media not want to jump all over that? Because it's a it's a it's a brutal case. It's, a, it's probably it's probably one of the worst cases that I've ever seen from a satanic standpoint. The amount of torture, the amount of kids involved, so on and so forth. But why? Because one of the accused, David Levitt, who was you know the county district attorney, he's the the former governor. It's, that's his brother of Utah. Hmm. So that's why you're not, that's why the media is not even jumping. They're not even going to try to attack. They're not even going to try to ridicule it. They're just going to ignore it. And hopefully it just fades out of people's minds. And then you got people like, you know, me and my brother will try and stay with it the best we can because as, as it stands right now, we could go deeper, but what's the, what's the point? Because it, we're trying to work with the cops. This isn't. This is like a flip side to Ramsey, where it's it's combative with the police. This time, the police are trying. So we're not trying to screw up the case. So we just got to stand back, try to you know help out where we can. You know, give them information, and then that's it. So we can't do any more. We just have to hope that they can just keep on pushing the ball forward. They've made two arrests. Hope they. I've been told there's more coming down the pike. And if they can pull it off, that'll be great. You know, Levitt fled the country. He's in Scotland living in a castle. So they're then probably not going to get in. But, you know, that's what we've been doing for the most part on the blog. Nothing else new. It probably, if something does happen new, it's going to be Utah County. Well, so there you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope that people keep 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 checking in with you at inthezeller.com and also on Twitter because I know you guys are still uh, pretty pretty active. You, you 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 respond. You do your thing on Twitter. I'm glad that we are linked up on several places because you know it's so easy to get get out of touch with somebody, get ripped away. But uh, well, Jim, were you going to say <laughs> something in uh, in in conclusion? Um. No, I, I was going to say there is some, some a little bit of news with, regarding Utah County. Uh, Hamblin's wife, who was arrested, uh, she just received bail. So you know, we'll we'll see how we'll see how that goes. That was that was a little uh, disheartening to see that happen, but she'll be know, go, she'll be going that, to Scotland that, next. What's that? Yeah. She'll be going to Scotland next. <laughs> yeah, pro- pro- probably, and. And I just wanted to mention something. I, I wasn't really aware of this until some short time ago, and I just find it interesting. I know we talked about, you know, military ties to, uh, you know, the occult and Satanism. Um, it, do you know who the author of The Exorcist was? No. I don't know the name. Well, his name is William Peter Blatty. Yeah, Blatty. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah Blatty. And, you know, what's interesting about that, I mean, he, that was a horrifying book and a horrifying movie. And, and it really caused a shift. You know, that people reacted so violently, physically, reacting to that, that film. They did studies on that film when it first came out. People running out of the theaters. He, he was a propaganda writer for the CIA. 
which I found very interesting. And that, and that, and that's what he authors. <laughs> you know, you know, there's something about that, uh, Jim. I, I was, uh, well, I think my my parents were having a uh, a discussion, something about their remembrances of when The Exorcist came out and how everybody was reacting to it, and how uh, even they, when they went to to see it in the theater, there's certain situations they had to get out and go. People are leaving, coming back, they're needing breaks from it all. It was very distressing, and. Um, and then I, I forget who, which one of them made the, made the uh, made the claim about uh, well you know and, and you know now I, I'll watch it now and I say oh my gosh that looks so fake and I and I said to myself and I I, I should have said it out loud I said do you 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 understand it wasn't the the practical or the special effects was the reason why the story was so terrible even though it added to it. The reason why is because there was a time when people saw this and there was something inside of them that said, this is real. We live in this kind of an existence. This is real. The balance between where we are now, the spirit world, good and evil, possession, uh, the, the protection of God. This is real. It's the it's the you know, it's one thing to say, you know, I can watch I can watch uh, uh, Halloween I can watch mm. Halloween alone in a dark room and have a wonderful time. That movie has become cozy to me at this point. Um, and, and, but, and at the, cause at the end of the day, you can say, okay, it's not real. Uh, you, you know, we, we know who all the actors are, things like that. It, it's the subject matter with the exorcist. You, that, You're absolutely right. It's the, the subject matter. That's what it is. The, is the, I mean, you can go in any monster movie you want this is something that is inexplicably powerful and it, it exists all around us and it makes you wonder how vulnerable am I and what am I lending myself to? And of course this goes hand in hand with the satanic panic. So yeah, absolutely. Just, I, I, just to, just to dovetail on my brother's point about the, about the film and the book, the, the barrier, the psychological barriers crossed, especially with the film because you're going to see it. I mean, over the course of decades, you know, films are becoming, you know, uh, the topic matter has, it's gotten more gruesome when it comes to certain, like, you know, the slasher films or the Jason films started in the 80s, you know, Friday the 13th, Halloween, started becoming more violent. But, and then of course, now we're in 2023. But even now, what they did, what was, when was The Exorcist made? 72? Somewhere that, around. You know, there are scenes, yeah, I think, I think it was the early 70s. So you're coming right out of the 60s, and then this movie comes out. And there are scenes that scarred people because of the the cycle. That's what my brother said. It, the, the, da the damage it did to your psyche for what you were seeing on, on a big screen, like, an 11 year old girl is shoving a, a, a crucifix into her vagina, causing herself to bleed, cursing, oh. blaspheming. And then the mother comes in, she grabs the mother's head and, you know, tries to make the mother perform oral sex on her. An 11 year old girl then slaps the mother around and then bounces her off a wall. Are you kidding me? Even today, you're not going to see anything like that. Hmm. But in 1972, people went to the movies, and I mean, yeah, you crossed the threshold you, there. A threshold? Oh my goodness! You, yeah. you know, you're a few years removed from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. 
I know. But it's getting... And then all of a sudden you walk in and you say, you see that? I mean... <laughs> it gets dark yeah. early. It, 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 and, and, and you know what, Frank? It's And, Frank, you talked about it. Those films like Halloween, you can kind of cozy up and get some popcorn, right? And, and, and watch that film because it's, you know... It's not as traumatizing as that particular film, The Exorcist. And the films of most recent times, it's not the slasher films that are traumatizing. And, you know, there's some crazy ones out there. But the ones most recently that have that type of effect, you know, you had The Exorcist. They had one more recently was a film called Hereditary, okay, that once again deals with possession. Highly disturbing. Highly disturbing, and then there was another one called Midsummer. Mm-hmm. Same director, same director of that, and he even said when he made, he was paid to, he was told to make a film a certain way, and if when you watch the film, you're actually viewing it in the eyes of experiencing the ritual yourself. You're actually going through the ritual. That's how he made the film. Aster. That's, that's the director's name. He, he even, when they asked him to give a quote about the film, he goes, I've, I've now taken my sickness and have given it to you. And, and that was hereditary. And that was hereditary. And then he follows it up with Midsommar, yeah. Those are the films that, like, are really, really something wrong there. Yeah, and, <laughs> but to, it, the, and there's a market for it. There's a market for it. There's a market for people who want who want to have that... Who wanted to uh, flirt with that darkness more, and it's like a, it's a morbidity that is uh, is constantly flirted with, and I hey, I have I have that darkness inside of me too, or just there's something that I, I want to press play, and I want I want to I want to feel like the I want to see what the hell I, I just want to know what the hell's out there, and then I just. I just tell them it's almost like take it's almost like being uh, uh, having a, a bottle of whiskey put in front of you. You say, "Hey, you want to have a drink?" And then I say, "Yeah, it might be all right. To have a drink." And uh, but but then I start thinking about, "Oh, well, tomorrow I want to be able to function, and I'm not going to do this." And it's hard enough on the internet to be out there and not come away with, uh, you know, some form of post traumatic stress from seeing the every every day. Uh, every day you, you see things that w- at one point was only relegated to that of you know special operations. You're just seeing there is just death and there is there is carnage all over. I mean, over the last couple of years, the amount of indiscriminate execution videos that have been all over the place, oh my where you just see people's lives snuffed out, the the lights just go off, and you see one moment. They are standing there. The next moment, they are crumpled on the ground, and there is nothing left. And that, right? I mean, and, and you, sometimes you know what's coming. You know what's coming, and you watch anyway. And other times, you know what's coming. You say, "I'm not doing this to myself tonight." And I've been trying to avoid it more and more because it is just. Uh, it, it takes on that same. It it, fee, it, it it needs to be fed after a while. It's it's fucking crazy. You know. They- there used to be like a, a show where they used to be quote unquote pushing the envelope back in the day called Faces of Death. Remember? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The eighties, man. The, yeah. Back in the eighties, and that, that was like, oh man, someone's gonna die on, on this particular film, and you're gonna see it. Yeah. And like that was People, outrageous. Back that People was got outrageous. executed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well like, I remember. Holy fa- fuck, now, now it's like 
you can watch it all day long. Faces of it. Death, yeah, no, Faces of Death's got nothing. When when the uh, they got nothing on the internet now. I mean, I remember when Faces nothing. Faces of Death was first uploaded onto you know uh, Napster and Kazaa and all of those those early downloading uh, uh, websites and whatever because uh, that was that was something that you would only be able to buy on uh, on a burned uh, VHS at a flea market somewhere and then all of a sudden it's all over the internet and then it's just forget about it I mean uh, you know the, the the Bud Dwyer suicide uh, everything yeah uh, everything oh. <laughs> I, that just brought to mind uh, when I worked at MSNBC you know in the mid 2000s as a researcher so I worked the, the tape library. So anything that ever went on air, footage-wise, had to come through us. So all the raw footage coming in from the satellites, they were rolling on tape, and it would be broken down saying, okay, uh, so let's say a Bush handshake with, with the political leader. You know, that guy, and then you label it, and if anybody comes in and producer needs it, they just grab that tape. But then there was stuff that comes in that was not for air. Like uh, certain things, let's say on 9 11. Mm -hmm. You know, when it was like, you know, people just jumping out of the buildings. Yeah. I know. You know there's plenty, plenty of, there's plenty of footage on that. It's, it's horrific. Uh, Daniel Pearl, uh, that, that was one, that was one, like, you know, there's a, there's a darkness in all of us, Frank, you know. We're all, we are all as human beings, there's, there's that inherent evil in us all. So, yeah, did I watch that? Did I wish I didn't watch it? But it was horrible, you know? To see a man get his head sawed off with a, like a dull knife. And mm. to see him get snuffed out and he's gurgling and then he cut into, oh, his, yeah, Daniel Pearl. But there's so much of that stuff. And that gets put into the newsroom as every day. We had a whole wall of do not. Do never air. We put big red letters on the tape. Never air, because it's just uh, just horrible images. And then there's there's the stuff that I saw, you know, doing the work I do now and the research I do now. Like you know, the stuff in Arkansas, that tape from years ago. I I I played that thing over and over, looking for clues. Over and over. I don't know. Why I don't, did I do that? I don't know you, how. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know, and I and I understand how you know. Watching that, did you guys watch the uh, uh, the Sound of Freedom? No, I, not yet. I have not. I have not seen it. You guys, I you guys really really should see. I would love to hear what you think about it because what you're describing right there is in those those opening scenes. The people who do this for a living, who are there looking, trying to rescue people, trying to rescue children, especially who are in really bad positions, are being exploited, abused, um, and and to have to see this stuff, this terrible stuff, where every time you press play, they're being abused all over again. But 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 to, to, to need to analyze the room, the settings, what you're hearing, anything that can give you a clue as to where this is going down, the people that are involved, if it links it to another case, you know, it's just, uh, they, they really very responsibly convey the burden of that kind of work and how it, uh, what, what 
what kind of weight that has on on a person's soul who does it but anyway guys uh, you brought us with one phone call all the way to nine o'clock and uh oh it, sorry frank I, I didn't even look at the clock man i, I went by quick now it went by great yeah. it went by it, it was a great call with you guys i want to do it again soon it's uh, it's that time of year to talk about you know to talk about the things that we talk about trying to make sense of the darkness and and have a have a uh, somewhat of a good time i think yeah, well, we have, uh, it's, go ahead, Frank. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I'm saying we, we appreciate the time. I wasn't even going to call because I was tired, and I'm listening to Jay, and, I'm, and then you said something about the note cards. I'm like, ah, let me just send Frank a tweet about the note cards. And I said, ah, what the hell, we'll call. So spur of the moment thing, we appreciate you giving giving us time as always. Well, you're the first ones that called in, so I, I had no other choice. Thank you so much. And, uh, that's it. And, ne- and next time we'll we'll, uh, we'll discuss a, a subject beforehand, and we'll just do a whole show. Thanks for the call, guys. There you go. All right, Frank. Thanks, Have Frank. a good night. Night. There you go. Frank and Jim Zell in the Zeller. I n t h e z e l l a r dot com. And tomorrow, what I'll do is I'll save some more of these satanic panic stories. It'll be a little bit of a uh, Mishkambrul kind of a uh, show tomorrow. A little ambrosia. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Take some calls. Like I said, it'll be an after earlier afternoon show. So it'll be interesting to see what kinds of people, uh, new audiences are watching, especially you Europeans out there. That'll be, um, that'll be nice. And I'll be able to do a lot more on-the-fly things like that when my room is set up properly at, uh, at home and a lot of new equipment just came in. When I say big things are coming, this is one of the biggest things I'm doing right now. Uh, The construction of that room is going to open up so many new avenues for content creation and uh, impromptu late night uh, uh, stuff. It'll be great. I can't wait to, to pull it all off. Listen, it's going to be a vintage September 11th episode from 2019 on Throwback Thursday, right as this show ends on QuiteFrankly.tv. Uh, find out how the Gabagool is made. Watch G. Edward Griffin give an amazing lecture and watch a classic, quite frankly, episode. That and more on QFTV. That's starting right after I end here. Thank you, Jerry Coogan, for the Rumble Rants. It's a great show. Frank J. was great. And the Zells were the icing on the cake. I agree with you. I loved it tonight. Had a lot of good friends around us tonight and all of you at home. That what makes it good. I'll see you tomorrow. Good night and be well. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Quite frankly, film before a live studio audience. And now our super chatter, starting with Stostube and Jerry Coogan. And all of our wonderful friends on Pill. That's Witchy Poo, PC Tech Pro, C. Blanche, and Robert Sarns. Again, ladies and gentlemen, get over to QuiteFrankly.tv because the night is only just getting started there. I'll see you in that chat room sooner or later. Just got to go find myself a steak.